Welcome to another episode of Everyday El Dorado. I'm your host, Deanna Bond, and I'm here to share my perspective on the fine art of living well every day in El Dorado. Welcome to another episode of Everyday El Dorado, where we are celebrating 150 years in El Dorado. Why would you want to live anywhere else? <laughs> I know I wouldn't. Uh, thank you for joining us on today's episode. So, you know, fun fact, this is the last episode of the season. Wow. It went by fast, didn't it? It went by fast. I agree. So I'm thinking, you know, we're planning on taking a little bit of a break mm -hmm. for the Crossroads exhibit. Yes because you've got a lot of work going on. I do. But then picking back up at the beginning of the new year. Yes. I mean, I'll still see you. Yes. So you're not gonna get rid of no. me. No. We just won't be here. Re yeah, recording and doing all this. Yeah, for a couple weeks. But uh, if you missed any episodes, you can go back and listen to them on Everyday El Dorado, our podcast channel, and uh, just kind of refresh your mind for the stories and get ready for our next Next season, oh my gosh, I'm so excited. I can't believe we're saying season two. <laughs> it's exciting. But today's story is, I don't know if it's one of my favorites, but it really is um, kind of what drew me into wanting to just do all this history in the first mm -hmm. place without giving it all away. Are we going to give it away yet? Maybe we'll remind people what we're doing here um, and why we're, why, why we're telling the stories. Celebrating 150 years in El Dorado is brought to you by Everyday El Dorado in conjunction with Golden Road Studios, the Butler County Historical Society, home of the Kansas Oil Museum, the City of El Dorado, KBTL 88.1 The Grizz, and our series sponsor, Linda Baines, Realtor with Sun Group Real Estate and Appraisals. We're so very grateful for the support that makes this series possible. So today's episode is Hildebrand, Horse Thief or Holy Roller? <laughs> I, I mean... I was not expecting that title. That's a good one. <laughs> That's good. I mean, right? Uh -huh. I don't know. I, I, I wasn't sure how to kind of pitch uh -huh. this story idea because um, for people who don't know Hildebrand, this is going to be a brand new story. Yes, this is true. And uh, for people who know Hildebrand, they think they know the story. Mm -hmm. But as we've been learning, there's always twists and turns. The story is not always what we what right. we've been told. So um, today's episode is going to be airing on November 11th, 2020, which is Veterans Day. And uh, we thought we would pull a page from from our paper, from our historic paper from that day. So we have November 11th, 1919. Oh, cool. So 101 years ago. Yes. I mean, I could have pulled, you know, 1920, I suppose, but I just felt like 1919 felt like a good, a good year because that's a historic day. And on the front page of the Walnut Valley Times, and uh, this is, I think this was a daily paper at this point, by, okay. by this point. Um, it sometimes would say up here if it was mm -hmm. like the Sunday edition or the Saturday or the evening, but I'm going to go with this was just their regular daily paper at this point. Um, on the front page, it says 
November 11 to be a national holiday in U.S. Birth of world democracy marked by Armistice Day be first patriotic holiday. So this was the first introduction to our community uh-huh. for them uh, to, to read and see that that the day we now celebrate as Veterans Day was first marked as uh, Armistice Day, November 11, 1919. Great. I mean, I know a little bit of the history, uh, mm-hmm. obviously, of, of that day, but not kind of how it was shared here in, in El Dorado. And what's also great is right next to it on the, on the front page, is uh, a, a big illustration, I don't know, a big illustration, takes up a couple columns of a couple of soldiers shaking hands, and it's a, an advertisement for the American Legion. Ah, it's a great photo. It is, it's really, wrong. I guess like, I'm not sure what to call it. A sketch? Sketch, yes. Maybe? Yeah, it's real illustration. Uh-huh. Uh, looks like it's the artist's uh, initials down here, and I would think that I, I wonder if this is local. I think this is probably a national um, advertisement is what I'm calling it, I guess. Uh, that So it has a, the opportunity for people to fill it in and join the American Legion. They've got a little form there that they would just tear mm-hmm. down the paper and, and send it in. And uh, so we, I also know this was the birth year of the American Legion and the beginnings here in El Dorado. Eldorado has a very strong American Legion. Mm-hmm. It's always been a really strong post, yes. um, and they started out that way. Uh, so this is, they had a membership drive right at the beginning. So after they named their their post and voted officers, they kicked it off with a membership drive. Uh, so also on the front page, they've got um, articles about um, Eldorado and Butler County ready to observe the celebration in a fitting manner. They were having a big program in readiness, and Yanks from over county flocked to El Dorado to participate in the affair. Why do you think they call them Yanks? Because we're, Yan- we're Yankees. Americans are Yankees. Well, I guess that's true. I mean, normally we think of Yankees or Yanks as being from kind of the New England area. Mm. Well, I guess that song, Over oh, there, I wish I could sing, guys. Sorry about that. Okay, Yanks from all over the country flock. Well, so there's a, a lot of patriotic, some more illustrations here from oh, wow. World War One, one year ago today. So illustrations mm-hmm. of men fighting. Mm-hmm. They've got those. That's really good, actually. Yeah. So they're in the in the trenches here, and then climbing over trenches. And uh, is this a cannon? Oh, I think it's a machine gun. A machine gun on wheels. Or oh, is it a cannon? It's hard to tell that in that. A gun? Uh, yeah, it is hard to tell, but it is very cool. Yeah. So if you're looking for some very cool military uh, history and illustrations and articles, the November 11, 1919 mm-hmm. issue of the Walnut Valley Times has some really really good stuff. I just scrolled down here a little bit. Um, a story about some car thieves, motor car thieves, which again, just caught my attention because mm-hmm. uh, it's on the front page. And it's kind of stuck in there amongst all the yeah. pharmacist things. Yeah. Too. Just goes to show that stealing people's mode of transportation will not be tolerated. Even in 1919. 
even in 1919. But we're going to go back to 1858, 1859. The first time I was ever introduced to Hildebrand, so William Hildebrand, was um, I think through some Butler County history that I was reading about. And it was just a really a little bit, um, but if I can read, I'm going to read here what I have. It says, William Hildebrand is supposed to have been the first settler near El Dorado, having taken a claim where J.D. Connor's farm now lies. In 1859, his place, which had become a sort of headquarters for horse thieves, was raided. And Hildebrand, after joining the Order of the Flagellants, or Anglis, getting a sound thrashing at the hands of the vigilantes, was given 24 hours to effect his escape from the county and disappeared forever from El Dorado's horizon. I mean, that's really a visual picture. Absolutely. And where did you say you pulled so, that from? So Cutler's the first mention. Mm -hmm. uh, this same story is then passed down through various places. But William Cutler is the first uh, place that we see that mm -hmm. kind of written in anything. And then Mooney shares it. Stratford shares it. Uh, Clintworth. So I've got a copy of, I want to say his name is William, but now I've got William Lawrence. on the brain. Lawrence. Uh -huh. Yes, you're right. It is Lawrence Clintworth. He wrote... Uh, the True Tales of the Kingdom of Butler County. And there's a series of books uh -huh. with him and Jesse Perry Stratford where they, they collaborated on The Kingdom of Butler. And so there's a series of, of stories kind of documenting the these stories before, they, before they, they were gone forever. They were oral stories that had been passed down. So he wanted to uh, capture them. And this is a really good resource. There's also some really good pictures in here. Some firsthand accounts and some stories passed on, but he he also documents that story in here. And his version uh, says, it has been alleged that even William Hildebrand, generally credited with being the first white settler in El Dorado Township, was a horse thief. Not long after Hildebrand settled in this area, he vanished reportedly visited by heavily armed neighbors and expelled from the county. No account of his later whereabouts or activities appear in Butler County record. Other horse thieves, in fact, or suspected, were also driven from their homes. So he doesn't repeat the story exactly, but he is passing that story mm -hmm. down. And, um, and that's pretty much all I've, I'd ever heard. Have Have you heard of this story before? Uh, yes. Yeah. It was one of the, I'm fairly new to the area, but it was one of the first stories I heard about once I started at the museum. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think, uh, you know, it's a, it's a fun story to tell about, you know, what, what we know. Mm -hmm. um, the first white settler in, in this area, in Butler County, what to be known as El Dorado, and he ends up being a horse thief. And that's all we know about him. That's all anyone has ever documented. And so, you know, with me, my, my conspiracy theory is that's never the whole truth. Right. There's more to the story. There has to be. Yes, I would agree. So, uh, we wanted to go find that out. That's, I mean, seemed like a real important, real important piece to our early history. And you've got a good resource 
um, a couple good resources mm -hmm. that kind of give a different version of the story. Mm -hmm. So, I don't know if you want to start there. Sorry. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, um, so we've referenced Augusta's journals before, my beautifully flagged uh, <laughs> book. So there's four books in this series. And uh, she kept a journal when she, before she and her family left Michigan and came to Kansas Territory while she was here and even after she left. And so there's a lot of really good um, documentation in there, firsthand accounts. Um, I always say it's a good place to start because her journal was then edited after the fact by family. Um, and it was verified, I guess, using information at the Kansas State Historical Society, which now that I have called into question, maybe the veracity of all of that, um, not to say that it's all wrong, it's just that some of that information was based on someone who said and someone who said and passed on. Right. So then they were corroborating information without the full picture. Not that it's completely wrong. It's just not completely right, I think. Um, so I guess like when we talked about our first episode, you know, we really pointed out kind of the logic that we were using to kind of follow that. Right. And the, the necessity for, for primary sources. Mm -hmm. And so I guess if there's anybody new listening in our audience, um, could you kind of help refresh our memories on the importance of primary sources and what are considered primary sources? So yes, primary sources are any types of first-hand accounts of the event, which can be harder the further back in history you go. Um, so diaries, journals, newspaper accounts where they've interviewed a witness to an mm -hmm. event is any type of a primary source. Secondary source are things um, such as Clint Worth, because he's taking information from someone else that's been passed down as, that is now a secondary source. Cutler is a secondary source because he's grabbed information from somebody else. Though I guess if somebody could argue if he's spoken directly to like a Jerry Connor or um, that does that become kind of because he actually interviewed the actual person that was there. Mm -hmm. So we could, I mean, would there probably be some arguments there, but that's hopefully a good general definition. Yeah, but I think that's also, you point out maybe where we split hairs because someone who maybe is considered a primary source, a history book, uh -huh. is maybe passing a story that they got who they believe was the primary source uh -huh. and they were passing down another story that they had received secondhand. Right. And I think that's kind of where we get to, especially with uncovering our early history. We want to know, is this what is the original genesis? Like, where did the story start? And if we can get all the way back to there, we can get a lot closer to the bigger picture of, of kind of what happened. So that's the case with Hildebrand. We have um, this story that had been passed down by people who were here during that time. So um, especially with Hildebrand, you mentioned Jerry Connor. He was a, a party to the to the event that happened. So it would be deemed credible, uh, the story that he would tell. Yes. I would think from Cutler, uh -huh. that yes. he, you know, that he would probably think that. Um, I also kind of, 
um, this my conspiracy, but uh, I think we've got to always consider that history is written by the winners. Yes. And that people have agendas. And that sometimes a primary source may not tell the truth. And perception. Mm-hmm. Like perception is always a big deal. Context is always a big deal. And I think even with Augusta, some of the stuff she has written, and we, she's pretty, she's very clear though when she talks about some of her anger. So then you have to take that in consideration as her anger, then tainting the perception of an overall event. Mm-hmm. So. That's a good point yeah. because emotions, uh-huh. emotions, mm-hmm. yeah. But the fact that she she did such a good, and again, this is an edited version of her original journals, but uh, there's a lot of reason to believe that they did their best to to retain the integrity of her her journal in here and just went through to fill in the blanks or corroborate uh, certain details. Um, So so in here, she does talk about the story with Hildebrand. And the reason why it's um, prominent to her story is because the horse thief incident that Hildebrand is accused of is the incident that led to Sam Stewart's murder. And Sam Stewart was her father. So she definitely would have, would be one of the closest sources okay. to this information. I would say even more than Jerry Connor. No, I would I agree with that. So, and the reason why we're referencing Jerry Connor, we haven't talked a lot about him yet, um, but uh, William Cutler, who is the editor or the writer or the compiler, <laughs> when I get it right, the compiler of the history of the state of Kansas, he uh, cites that he got a lot of his information on Butler County from Jerry Connor. He was one of the one of the sources. So, um, so I'm just trying to draw a line to kind of mm-hmm. keep our storyline in uh, intact. So in eighteen uh, fifty. So it was the end of 1858, um, some horses were thieved. (laughs) We know that much. That part is true. Yes, it is. Horses were thieved. And, you know, I kind of started off this backwards because I really wanted to maybe tell the story of Hildebrand different. Okay. And how how did you want to do that? Well, I wanted to introduce the audience to William Hildebrand before I introduce the audience to the story. Ah. So I think we're gonna back up. Okay. Can we do, do yeah. the uh-huh. yeah. rewind? So I know we've, we've shared uh, stories from newspaper, newspaper articles in the past, and, but I don't, uh, I don't think we've shared this one before. Yeah, I don't believe we have. So this was an article, so Captain Joseph Cracklin who led the first party down here to help, was also a founding member of the El Dorado Town Company. He was corresponding back to Lawrence because he was sort of tasked with leading this party and expanding our voting district. So he seems to be the person who took it upon himself to report back, mm-hmm. to um, write the paper. So in Lawrence, it was called The Republican and he was writing to the editors and then they were publishing his, his uh, letters. So on August 27th, 1857, is an article from him. Now he is he and the rest of the men in his party had arrived in June. 
and they've been there for a couple of months and he's already written back a couple of different times. So this, each time he's giving a little bit more detail. Mm -hmm. So one of our earlier shows, we, uh, we read the first article with the first, the first time that he sent a letter back and it was describing how they ended up where they here, <laughs> how they got here. Um, so this is um, just updating the community, kind of like a soap opera. Mm -hmm. I like at modern day soap opera. They were kind of keeping the story and keeping the readers interested. So this says correspondence to the Lawrence Republican, El Dorado News, El Dorado Yarns, and our El Dorado correspondent romps with the buffalo calf. Ho for El Dorado! El Dorado, Hunter County, Kansas Territory, August 8, 1857. That just sounds so romantic. <laughs> it just paints a beautiful picture in my mind. Misters, editors, on Monday last, an election for state officers was held here for this district, the 16th district, and 32 votes were polled. Samuel Stewart Esquire was unanimously elected to a seat in the General Assembly. Just two months from the third instant, the day of the election, the El Dorado Town Association selected this locality for their town site. I'm going to stop right there because we just got a lot of good clues in just those first uh, two paragraphs. Right. We know that in the first election, 32 votes were polled. Mm -hmm. We know at those time, that time mm -hmm. it was just white men. Correct. They were the heads of their houses, but there were other people here at that time. Mm -hmm. Some of them had brought family by then. Samuel Stewart was elected representative. And then we hear that just two months from the third instant, which was the day of election, the El Dorado Town Association selected the locality for their town site. So what that's saying is two months from the third instant, meaning the, the month of August. We're reading this on August 27th, but he wrote it on August 8th. So he's referring to the 3rd of August. Two months prior to that was June 3rd. Mm -hmm. and, and this is when he says the El Dorado Town Association selected this locality for their town site. That's another way of saying this is when we got here. Mm -hmm. We said this is it. So June 3rd. And there's a lot of kind of back and forth about when, when they showed up, but he tells us right here. So that's, I had had it pinned back to as far as June 6th until I read this article. So that's some new information. At that time, but two white persons resided in the Walnut River Valley from the extreme Northern post to the Osage Reserve. Those two were the Reverend William Hildebrand, formerly a missionary amongst the Cherokees and Chickasaws, and now preparing to carry his Christian labors to the Osages. The other, Colonel Alexander Bigham from Mississippi, who distinguished himself at the taking of Monterey in Mexico and at the storming of the Bishop's Palace, was severely wounded. We here regard him as quite an accusation to our town. 
Now the valley contains a population of over 200 resident citizens and every day brings fresh arrival of immigrants. I know of no portion of the territory that has settled up so rapidly as this valley in so short a time without notice. And this can be accounted for only upon the ground that it possesses advantages to all other portions of Kansas for domestic husbandry. A lot of good information in that paragraph. So, so he introduces new characters. Uh -huh. The first two characters on the scene are Reverend William Hildebrand and Colonel Alexander Bigham. Yes. Now, until I had read that information, not this was confirmed it, but I had read it one other place. I never knew Hildebrand was a reverend. Yeah, that's a great clue. It's a great piece of information back. And this is written by Colonel or by Captain Cracklin. He met him. He knows him. I, I'm I know we haven't gotten on to the rest of the story yet, but just kind of painting setting up this picture um, of, of who he is. So he and the colonel were the first two here. Mm -hmm. That that is documented. They had had a claim set up. And um, we know from the earlier letter that he wrote back to the Republican, they picked a town site. And uh, when he tells us someone was on it, they purchased that claim from them. So this was Hildebrand and Bigham, mm -hmm. who they were purchasing that claim from. And then they moved and got a different site, which we, I guess, find out later. Mm -hmm. A day or two since a company of 20 or 30 men returned through here from Upper Arkansas and the head of waters of the Big Platte, where they had gone in the early part of the spring prospecting for gold and reported that in that region they visited, they found gold in considerable quantity of which they exhibited rich specimens. They are of the opinion that in a short time, extensive explorations will be made and rich deposits will be found. At this time, however, small companies experienced great annoyance from the Indians. Several of their company were shot and other acts of violence committed towards them. So I think he's just, you know, sharing the news, mm -hmm. what's going on, right? Um, we know El Dorado was on a couple of major roads mm -hmm. out to the west and north up to the California uh, trail. Mm -hmm. and gold had been found at this point so they were not even 10 years in right about mm -hmm. so people are coming through here mm -hmm. looking for gold and coming back with gold yes so this next paragraph mm -hmm. yesterday the major part of our town turned out to assist a gentleman formerly from wisconsin in putting up a large two-story log house on his claim 18 by 22 feet in the clear which, when finished, will make no mean cabin for the wilderness. I just want to, I want to talk about this. The man from Wisconsin. I want to talk about the man from Wisconsin. I want to talk about this two-story building mm -hmm. that will make no mean cabin for the wilderness. So, until I read through that and really kind of come for, through for some clues, I was under the impression 
that the first log cabin, first two-story cabin in El Dorado was owned by the Stewarts because that's what Augusta tells us in her journal. She tells us that she had the first two-story log cabin and uh, it was finished by Christmas. <laughs> she was really excited about that. Yeah. Um, and she went on to call it Hotel El Dorado okay. because they received guests. Her father was very prominent. So when people would come to town, they would, they would board at their house. Uh, Augusta and her sister Ada had worked in a boarding house in Lawrence before they came here. So she, they were familiar with, with uh, keeping house. And um, so I'd always assumed that theirs was the first building. But in August of 1857, Augusta and Ada were still in Lawrence. They had not come to El Dorado yet. They didn't leave for El Dorado until November 2nd. I think we're filming this on November 2nd, aren't we? Mm -hmm. It's gonna air on the 11th, but yeah, how interesting. Um, so, so I always thought it was that. So when you talked about perspective earlier, the perspective of the storyteller sometimes is limited by their scope of experience. Yeah, that's true. So if we're using Augusta as a primary source, which she is. She is. But then we would cite her um, information about her home being the first log cabin, that would not be true. It wouldn't mean that she was trying to defraud anyone, but that her experience, her perception was that they were the first. So that's fascinating. So then I said, hmm, who was here from Wisconsin that early, could afford to put up a two-story house, building, cabin, in, in El Dorado? And we do have someone of significance from Wisconsin who later we know has a two-story wooden house structure cabin um, that he lives in and operates as a store, a grocery store. He calls it the people's store. And eventually the first newspaper in El Dorado is upstairs. Their offices are on the second floor. I think at this point, um, they had built a second house and they left that, that building standing there because of its location in El Dorado, was right on the main kind of road coming through town. Mm -hmm. So uh, we know that to be Henry Martin. Right. And I am gobsmacked <laughs> that it was just kind of tucked in here in a little paragraph here uh, that, that most of the entire town came out to help put up this large two-story home on his claim. So what's interesting is we know where that two-story log cabin on his claim ends up being Main and Central. Because Main and Central, we know it now, uh, his was more kind of in the center of the intersection of that now. Yes. Um, and eventually it was, that wooden building was torn down and that is at uh, the corner of Central on the west side of Maine, that first kind of corner there, mm -hmm. which 
to me is further proof about our town's location. Because even Cracklin says a major part of our town turned out to help him on his claim. So I got, I got, you know, a lot of inner fight in me about <laughs> where the town was originally. Um, and I think, you know, um, a case can be made for Henry Martin's claim. It was his claim. It wasn't the town. Right. Yeah, it was, argue, yeah. It was his claim, but. And it could be neighbors helping neighbors. Mm -hmm. But that his claim ends up being the main part of El Dorado. I think it's not an accident. I think this was heavily trafficked because of the road that we now know of as Central. Um, and this is just where commerce was. So any other locations that maybe were claimed by other members of that same kind of first party um, as being El Dorado, um, maybe, I don't know, maybe that's what was officially platted, but where where the town grew up was around Henry, Henry Martin's place. I don't know. That's just fascinating. It is. I, I cannot wait until we do our episode on Henry Martin. <laughs> so the next paragraph starts out. Five young men from Benton County, Arkansas, came into camp yesterday with the view of making claims and this morning have gone to work to make selections. They had learned through the Reverend Mr. Hildebrand that a town had been located here and that the country was a most desirable one for stock growing, in which business they purpose embarking by laying their claims in a body so as to enable them to engage in the enterprise the more extensively. So that's a lot of words to say they all want to stack their claims right next to each other. So I wonder if they're brothers. Okay. I mean, it just says five, five men. Yes, yeah. from Benton County, Arkansas. So that's a clue to me. If um, the Reverend Mr. Hildebrand knew these five men who came from Benton County, Arkansas, because Mr. Hildebrand said, hey, here's, here's a town to come to, he has some connection with Benton County, Arkansas. That's a good point. And that is our first real lead, folks. This article right here. Mm -hmm. No, it's a great, he's got a lot of great information. So we need to write that down, Benton County, Arkansas. So we'll be, we will be going there soon. <laughs> a gentleman in the neighborhood reports that within a mile or two from town, he discovered several days since an extensive slate quarry of which he exhibited specimens of beautiful quality. He is of the opinion that he will be able to find coal. Should he be so fortunate, it will add incalculable value to the prairie lands of this region, as they are unequaled for fertility and beauty. Last evening, a gentleman from Ohio who occupies a claim down the river some four or five miles on his way here to consummate a contract with the town company, saw and counted 18 deer in one herd. Antelope, too, have been seen near town in large numbers for several days past from which it would seem that game is beginning to come in. So I wonder if that's because of the weather. It was starting to, summer was starting to, I mean, it's the end of August, it's mm -hmm. still warm. Uh, I wonder where the game had been. That's a good question. So maybe they had been somewhere 
else for the summer and now they're making their way back for fall. Maybe. But we know deer season, I guess it doesn't technically start until around November around here. I don't know either. Uh, the behavior of the Indians continues excellent and all seem highly pleased with the prospect of soon having by and by a convenient trading post. Hmm. So that's interesting. I guess they don't have one yet. The Osages are beginning to come in from this buffalo hunt laden with meat and tallow. They speak of having had excellent successes in killing buffalo and taking a number of scalps at which they appear highly elated. <laughs> oh yeah I bet that would feel a little scary. Ha huh? we got some scalps yeah, on this trip. Yeah. Whose scalps were they? Yeah. Other Indian tribes? I don't know. But they, they were pretty friendly to the Elder Raidens, so that's good. The Honorable John Dame, a member of the Town Association from Portsmouth, New Hampshire, will be on Lawrence on or about the 10th of September on his way to his old home with the view of bringing out his family. Persons wishing to confer with their friends in the East may find it convenient to do so. So he will be pleased to give any information respecting Southern Kansas. Mr. Dame has taken special pains in making himself thoroughly acquainted with all the practical advantages that this part of the territory possesses. And being a gentleman of keen observation and excellent good sense, his opinion may be fully re relied upon. Well, that's a good endorsement. It is. And another clue. Honorable John Dame is a stakeholder in the town association. And I have another name. Yes, which means he was one of the first 15 or 17 in that party. And he's been here since June 3rd and is now going back to bring his family out. Now that he's decided to settle here. That is so many clues you can get by reading through a newspaper. Mm -hmm. You never know what you're going to find. I would inquire if you have anything of the two cities of Walker and Wakefield, as they have not been seen in this part of the country for some time past. It is conjectured that Walker walked herself off and took Wakefield with her. Any information you may be pleased to give respecting the two ladies will be thankfully received. It is supposed that the parties have put on male attire and are traveling incognito alias Oxcart. So it looks like a couple of towns may have been settled and then the people decided that wasn't for them and they up and moved. Yes. It's a fun, fun way to describe that it. That's a great way to describe it. Tomorrow I go on a buffalo hunt and should I find it convenient to send you the humps of several, you may expect them. I shall corn all that I purpose bringing in. I wonder what that means. I shall corn all that I purpose bringing in. Your chance of getting a part will depend upon the opportunity of sending it. The health of the valley is excellent. Hang on, go back to the, are you sure it's not actually women who escaped? The, the two cities of Walker and Wakefield. Oh, okay. Sorry. So so he's referring to them as, as, as girls, okay. just like they, El Dorado's been referred yeah, to as a she, a okay. her. Mm -hmm. For just for a split second, I thought, I thought he was saying something else. Don't mind. I mean, yeah, it does, does okay, sound yeah. like... Like, women are escaping or something. <laughs> I mean, then, hang on. They don't want to be here. Yeah. 
Well, you know, just, it was hard living. I wouldn't blame a woman at that time. <laughs> she, she found a way to run. <laughs> oh, so then you can tell that's the end of the article or the end of the letter. Mm -hmm. There's a kind of a, a demarcation there. And then it says, another letter from our El Dorado correspondent of a later date than the above says, I would suggest to those coming to El Dorado from Lawrence or elsewhere north that the most easy road is by way of Burlington. The distance here from Lawrence by way of Burlington is computed at 130 miles. By the Santa Fe Road, 215. By Emporia, 150. Will not some enterprising company before the present season shall have passed over, bring here a good steam sawmill? One is greatly needed and the investment would be a most profitable one as there is no mill within 65 miles. Lumber is in very good demand and timber abundant and of excellent quality. I have no doubt, but that the town company would offer such inducements as would render the operation safe and successful. Over 100 houses and cabins are now being built up and down the valley within a distance of six or eight miles together with some 18 contracted for on the town site. A good hotel would already have sufficient patronage to justify one in embarking in that business and in the spring, several will be needed to accommodate the large influx of population from the north and west, together with the trains from the south and east. But the great advantage in doing business here and forming commercial relations is with New Orleans, is that merchandise can be obtained via Little Rock at all seasons of the year as the Missouri closes over with ice or its navigation otherwise impeded by low down whereas Kansas City, Leavenworth, etc., are entirely cut off from all commercial relations with St. Louis and New Orleans for at least three months in a year. Nowhere have I seen such quantities of grapes growing wild as along our valley, many of them of large size and the vine's most prolific bearers. I am inclined to the opinion that this valley is admirably adapted to the grape culture. And I predict ere long, the manufacture of wine will be no inconsiderable article of export from this part of the territory. First of all, I feel like that this is a female writing this. And why do you feel that way? The writer identifies the other if it was a male, their other male counterparts as boys. Whereas, and this is the second letter. The first letter, which we know came from Cracklin because it's identified in the beginning as having come from their correspondent, refers to them as gentlemen. So a change in the, the speech pattern. Mm -hmm. He refers to the other young men and gentlemen, but this ref writer refers to them as boys which would be something that either a mother or another young woman who would refer to people as boys would do. That's my conspiracy theory. That's a good theory. But then the writer goes on to say, P.S. Well, before I go on to the P.S., also the R.E.X., the other crack woman, he, he writes a letter and signs it with his name. 
Other writers use their name because they want the credit for people to know that, that it's them telling a story. But this person uses some initials, which could be an alias, because it could be, my theory, that it's a, a female. And they wanted to be taken seriously. P.S. They, they add, I write in a wagon with a tent over me. My trunk for a seat, a piece of board for my table, a piece of jerk buffalo meat to nibble at, and a buffalo calf, a most mischievous little rascal, to keep me company. And arousing me occasionally with a fierce bellow and a thundering shake of the wagon, which quite unnerves me to write anything for ears polite. But I repress my angry passions and exercise my better feelings in behalf of the little orphan captive. And then we take a romp and a race over the prairie. More anon. So, so this piece of writing here differs from the first, the first letter. Mm -hmm. uh, and so I'm thinking that this El Dorado correspondent who sends this letter at a later date, it's possible that it was dated later, but it arrived in the mail at the same time. So they would suppose it came from, from the same correspondent. But uh, the descriptions and the fact that the writer is letting us know that they are in a wagon with a tent over them. Uh -huh. The women typically tended to be in the tent, uh -huh. cooking and, and um, at various, not just cooking, cause, but the men tended to be outside of the tent hunting and, and uh, all kinds of outdoor things. I know I'm generalizing, but even when Augusta's describing in her journal about daily life, um, she references being inside of the wagon, in the tent, the men being out. They, own, they come in when they visit with her for a meal. Mm -hmm. um, I don't say for a fact that these are two different writers, but it feels like it, and my theory is it is two different writers. What say you? I think that's a good theory. Well, it is great. And then it says more anon. And I think that means um, this was more of that same letter from anonymous. Mm -hmm. So a lot of great clues in here. I originally came upon this article because I was looking for information on Hildebrand and come to find out that Hildebrand was not by himself. He was with a Colonel Alexander Bigham, mm -hmm. which in all the stories I've read, there was just one white settler, Hildebrand. It never mentions the... No, it doesn't mention him. So I want to know who he is. And he, um, he's got such a glowing review here, having fought in the... Uh, he distinguished himself at the taking of the Monterey in Mexico. That's a little clue. And at the storming of the bishop's palace, he was severely wounded. So right there, we know we can go and look up some records with um, Fold 3 um, and, and look for any, uh, any companies that were at the storming of Mexico. We can kind of do some simple searches just in the newspapers 
of the time to look up um, who could who could be there. And I have found one Alexander Bigham in Mexico for the war, the Mexico war. And um, who was there during the taking of Monterey mm -hmm. and the storming of the Bishop's Palace and who in the paper was listed as having been injured. The only inconsistency is he's listed as a private. He is not listed as a colonel. Huh. Now, this was 10 years prior so it has been 10 years. I mean, it's been a while. So it's possible he became a colonel. It's possible he went from private to colonel. It's also possible that, I think, my conspiracy, that uh, that, that was a nickname. That he wasn't actually a colonel. Mm -hmm. Or maybe he adopted the colonel later. Possible. Possible. Uh, so when I went looking up for just to see where I could find Alexander Bigham and where he ended up, um, there's um, his land warranty that he received as being a soldier, his land uh, bounty yes. was for uh, location in uh, Nacogdoches, so around Texas, Louisiana, Caddo Parish area. And he's listed as a private still at this point when he, when he leaves. And um, and he takes his claim with another gentleman. It just says, "Know ye that in the in, that in pursuance to the Act of Congress entitled an Act to raise for a limited time an additional military force and for other purposes, approved February eleventh, eighteen forty-seven, Alexander Bigham, private in Captain Moulding's Company, First Regiment, Tennessee Volunteer." So that's where we uh, see that he was still a private when he was given his uh, land warranty warrant. Um, and it is granted to Alfred Attaway, a, and I think he's a, a signatory of the said Alexander Bigham and to his heirs. And then it describes the land. So, um, Alfred Attaway and Alexander Bigham take possession of this, this piece of land. And from there, what you see is Alfred Attaway lives on this property with his family. And I never see Alexander Bigham again. So this was in 1851. Fast forward six years to 1857, and we find Alexander Bigham in Kansas, or at least the gentleman saying he's Alexander Bigham, mm -hmm. Colonel Alexander Bigham. And um, so I, I wanna know kind of where he went from the time that he kind of claimed his land warranty. I'm thinking maybe, I would guess, I would guess that Attaway was maybe a brother-in-law. Now, how do we know this is the same Alexander Bigham that it ends up in Butler County? Well, we only know that through the story in the paper. That, well, I mean, what I mean is, is there a different Alexander Bigham no. in the United States? There's other Alexander Biggums. Mm -hmm. There's only one Alexander Bigham in Captain Moulding's army that was in the taking of Monterey mm -hmm. and the storming of Bishop's Palace. And that Alexander Bigham was injured and 
is listed in the roster of the Tennessee mm -hmm. volunteers of people who were injured at this actual taking, the storming. And, uh, and, then, and then that Alexander Bigham receives this land patent. And then Ann Alexander Bigham is in El Dorado claiming that he had been injured in the taking of Monterey and the storming of the Bishop's Palace. So uh, while identity theft is very possible, as Ken says, Right. People could just pick up a new identity in the West okay. and be whoever they wanted. Mm -hmm. It wasn't the same as like internet today where I go, ooh, I'm going to research. I'm going to take over this person's identity. I better have my story straight. Right. Um, he either needed to be Alexander Bigham to tell that story or no Alexander Bigham. Right. In which case he was, Alexander Bigham was dead and this was a fake person. Right. I, I mean, I'm willing to go with either of those two. Fair. Either of them. However, I'm going to lean towards it. It was probably Alexander Bigham. Mm -hmm. And he was going by the name Colonel, maybe as a nickname. Mm -hmm. Hey, Colonel. You know, once he got out, it had been a few years now. It had been 10 years. And, um, you know, he was retired. He was probably still nursing this injury, mm -hmm. uh, which is why maybe Cracklin mentioned it in the letter. Mm -hmm. So I then wonder, how did Bigham go from... Louisiana, mm -hmm. where he, he got his land, to Kansas with Hildebrand, and where did they meet? Because in in this article then, um, Cracklin relays that they had come from Mississippi. Oh, Colonel Ale Alexander Bigham is from Mississippi. So we know that he was a Tennessee volunteer if he was from Mississippi, he must have gone to Tennessee to join to fight. Right. But then he took land in Louisiana. Um, and and now he's in Kansas. So he gets he's getting around a lot, so so I wonder if he's just got like the itch to travel. Okay. Or if maybe he met up with Reverend William Hildebrand in Mississippi and that's most recently where they had been before they came to Kansas. Possible. So that's kind of my working theory. So when I want to go looking for Alexander Bigham, and I've gone looking, and I don't find him again after this his time in El Dorado. Mm -hmm. um, so we have a little more details from Hildebrand himself, and by himself I, I mean relayed by Augusta mm -hmm. Stewart. Um, and but but this is as much as I found of him okay. yet. Now I have a few more details. We could go looking on, say, Ancestry mm -hmm. and look up Alexander Bigham. There are more Alexander Biggums in the world, mm -hmm. just but only one that served in the Mexican War. Makes sense. So, um, so I think that's really the first kind of, I don't know, the first glaring obvious difference between the story we've handed down, been handed down about the first white settler in El Dorado and Butler County uh, was William Hildebrand. And really, it was William Hildebrand and Colonel Alexander Bigham, uh, because even Cracklin says we regard him as as uh, quite an asset to our community, mm -hmm. and he he acknowledges that he he is um, a part of their town. Um, and then he goes on to talk about the population and how many people do live there. So I think it's accurate to say that that Bigham was considered a um, a resident at that time along with everybody else. 
So, so I want to rewrite the story now and say the first white settler in Butler County mm -hmm. was Colonel Alexander Bigham and Reverend William Hildebrand. Yes, that would be more, more uh, accurate. Accurate. Yes. Mm -hmm. Thank you. Yeah, and and when we say settler, really what they're saying is white. Yes, settler. They are because there were people here. There were indigenous people. Mm -hmm. The Osage were here. Mm -hmm. And so, but this is what they were classifying the settlers new to the territory. Right. So, um, so a little, a little, a lot of clues, a little here to give us direction to go looking for Hildebrand and, um, and, uh, and Bigham. So I guess now we can go back to the story. Uh, an hour in and we get back to the meat of the story, which I think it's all meat actually, uh, is as uh, Hildebrand We've always been told he was our the first white settler, and he was a horse thief. Mm -hmm. I'd never heard that he was a reverend before, so that's all new information uh -huh. to us, and hopefully to our audience that um, that he was a missionary to to the Chickasaw, the Cherokees, and now moving to work with the Osage, uh -huh. which is probably I guess what brought him here. Uh -huh. So if if that is true. We should be able to go looking for him, and it would be like a needle in a haystack, but with churches in the South, and I say the South, because, again, some later information that we get, he says he's supported by churches in the South. Right. And it would take a lot, but churches keep records of missionaries that they send out. If he's a missionary, mm -hmm. as he claims, or as is he must have claimed to Cracklin, who wrote this letter back to Lawrence. So I guess I'm I just trying to... I'm, um, splitting hairs here with the semantics, but I'm making sure that that I identify what we identify as fact or seems to be the truth and from, you know, speculation, my guess. So we realized with all of our conspiracy theories and facts, we had such a great conversation and needed to break it up into two parts. So we will come back next week with the second half of our final episode on Hildebrand, Horse Thief or Holy Roller. Be sure to tune in next time where we will hunt for history here on Everyday El Dorado. I'm your host, Deanna Vaughn. I'm Suzanne Walenta. Celebrating 150 years in El Dorado is brought to you by Everyday El Dorado in conjunction with Golden Road Studios, the Butler County Historical Society, home of the Kansas Oil Museum, the City of El Dorado, KBTL 88.1 The Grizz, and our series sponsor, Linda Baines, Realtor with Sun Group Real Estate and Appraisals. We're so very grateful for the support that makes this series possible. All views and opinions expressed on this show are those of the individuals expressing them and do not necessarily reflect the official policy or positions of Butler Community College or KBTL 88.1 The Grizz, El Dorado, Kansas, Radio for Butler. here on Everyday El Dorado, but keep an eye out and an ear open for your source of information on the fine art of living well every day in El Dorado. Have a great day. Oh. Oh, I'm not a writer. Okay.
not a writer. Okay. Yeah. Yeah,